Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. We hope you find these messages helpful during this Advent season. Let's dive in together and make room for Jesus. Let every heart prepare Him room. Thanks for joining us. Let's begin. Let's, let's go to the, to the Word of the Lord uh, and see what God has for us today. Now, I think uh, it's insane to me, you know, that Christmas is next week, essentially, right? And here we are, we're right smack dab in the middle of December already, and I knew that this was going to happen, and so the intention was to slow down, to take it slow, and really enjoy the season, enjoy the advent of the Christ. But what's a good advent series without the wise men? You know what I mean? You know, a lot of people have those nativity scenes at home, and what's in that nativity scene? You have the manger, you have Mary, you have Joseph, and then you have some shepherds sometimes, Sometimes, actually, those nativity scenes skip the shepherds, but you always have the wise men for some reason. So let's talk about the wise men today. I really like to take some time and look into that, reflect on that, if you will. So turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 1 through 12, the account of the wise men. We'll look at this very famous section of scripture that so many acknowledge during the Christmas season or during the Advent season. And I believe, actually, rightly so, because this is a story of Advent. This is a story of men, called wise men, who were in anticipation of the coming of the Christ. See, the Lord's Advent was among, it, it was coming. It was here, and they recognized that, and they were filled with intrigue. These wise men had a uh, deep sense of interest, a deep sense of curiosity, a deep sense of intrigue, and their efforts to discover this king is bar none. And we can learn a lot from that, and so that's something that I like to do today. But let me ask you this. Are you a curious person? Are you someone who's generally filled with intrigue or not so much? Because here's, here's, here's something that I've come to realize that there are two kinds of people in my household. Your household may be different, but in my household, there are two kinds of people. There are those who do not wonder how things work. They don't have a whole lot of questions. If it works, it's good to go. And then there are those in my house who, if it works, the question is, how does it work? And so we have those two camps. Now, I fall under the curiosity camp, and my wife is the team captain of the who cares it works camp. <laughs> now, in fact, the curiosity, the level of curiosity that I possess is, is sometimes annoying, to say the least. You know, sometimes I'll be in mid-conversation with my wife and something comes up, I have to Google that right away. That's just me, right? I'm filled with intrigue. I want to know the answers. I want to know how things work. I want to satisfy my intrigue. In fact, if I may, you may not care, but if I may, can I share with you uh, just a little glimpse of my Google search history? Yeah. yeah. And this is, this is just, you know, from, the, from when I wrote this. So there's more now, but from the time I wrote this, let me just share with you a little bit of just the things, I inquire about just random things that are sometimes even meaningless. So if you don't mind, let me share. Uh, the first thing that showed up was, how do you spell intrigue? <laughs> Notice I used that word earlier. 
Okay. Um, how do you remove the glass off of a tablet? Okay. What was the relationship between Danny, Jesse, and Joey in Full House? How does a record player work? How is it that a needle projects sound? Hmm. Where the wise men kings? So, there you go. So inquisitive. Just giving you, there's more, but I'm just going to share this. Where the, th this is my life, you know, full of curiosity, full of intrigue. I, I want to know answers to questions that you would perhaps even consider as irrelevant. <laughs> I hear this from my wife often. Who cares? <laughs> it's not important. But as I read the account of the wise men, I can see that they too were quite filled with intrigue themselves. They were very curious people. So I would like to just take the moment to say out loud that I consider myself a wise man for being so inquisitive, if I may. But let's take a look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Let's read this together. You can follow with me in your Bibles or on the screens. And it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then Herod the king heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, what time the star had appeared. And he sent, to them, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him to me, or bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until they, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for this time together and for your word. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would speak to us today, that you would open our hearts and soften it, Lord Jesus, to be able to receive what you have for us in a way that's uh, effective, in a way that is, is, is just well sowed to be able to produce much fruit. And so we ask, Father, you speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue with this idea of making room as we have discussed this Advent season. And so far, we've seen the importance of making room for Christ. We've seen the importance of making room for others. And uh, today, we'll look into the account of the wise men. And as we see this, we'll also see that it, we should be also making room for those who are inquisitive 
for those who are filled with intrigue. Because if you noticed, these wise men definitely fit that class. They're thinkers. They have questions, and they are seeking for answers is what they're doing. So let's make room for seekers, and that's the title of today's sermon. First, let's consider the wise men. I don't know if you have much done research about the wise men. The wise men have always been something curious to me. There's been too much that we know of them, but I've always wondered, how do we even know all of this about them? Because if you noticed, we didn't get a whole lot of information about who they are, who they were. You see that? And so I'd like for us to just crack that open, because there's certainly a bit of mystery surrounding these guys. There's no doubt about that. They weren't just wise men, as you would imagine in general, though. They were some type of astrologers. They observed and studied the stars. Um, They were students of the stars, if you would. They were educated in in their way. And so, in fact, according to history and scripture, I want to point this out, these men were actually highly likely pagan men. Just, Just considering history and scripture, these men were described as the Magi. That's another name for wise men, by the way. But if we consider who these guys were or, or what we know about Magi, they were considered to be pagan people. There, was, there were no believers, no followers of Jesus, if you would, who were Magi. Because, and I'll, tell you, I'll share this with, with, with you a little bit more, it was forbidden to be people of God and to be Magi. And so the name Magi was the name actually given by Babylonians, Medes, and Persians, people in the East. These people are the ones who actually gave this title of Magi to people such as teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, and sorcerers. If you, fall, if you fell in any of this, of this class, of these classes, you were, by, you were considered a, a magi. Someone who practiced the wisdom of that craft, if you would. And so many of whom practiced these, these crafts were actually deceitful in many ways. They were deceitful in their abilities because their pursuit was self-gain. Their pursuit was status. We have several examples of this in Scripture. Simon the sorcerer is one of them who wanted this ability of the Holy Spirit so that he can make a prophet or a name for himself. And so a lot of people who were magi used their skills, their talents to exploit others. Not all of them, but this was a general understanding of people who were considered magi. In fact, if we consider Matthew's audience, because we're reading the book of Matthew right here, and so context is important, right? If we consider the, 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 the audience that Matthew's writing to, who is that? He's writing to Jews, believers, Believers who need to see that Jesus truly is the Son of God, King of the Jews. And so if you look and you start with the book of Matthew, you see a genealogy. And I know that many of us kind of skim over those because they're kind of boring and we don't know these names. And, and it's, much, it's really hard to say a lot of those names. My wife and I have been doing this Advent Bible study together, and we're really looking at the genealogy that's in Matthew slowly. And it's been blowing my socks off because Matthew is very intentional about pointing Jesus to this lineage that was prophesied from men of long ago. He is the fulfillment of the promises of old. 
And so this is what Matthew is laying out. This is who he's talking to, and he's being very careful about the things that he's saying, and he chooses to use the title Magi. Interesting, because the, the audience probably would have thought as, as Magi or of Magi in the way that they would have been taught about the Magi. They would have been taught that the Magi are God's enemies or Daniel's enemies. In fact, if you go back into biblical history, you read the book of Daniel, the Magi were portrayed as these types of people who were just in a very negative light. They were, they were not someone or people that you look up to. They were selfish. They were incompetent. They were frauds, if you would, and they were brutal pagans, generally speaking. And so, I think for us, we've been con conditioned to just hear, oh, the wise men, the magi, they were cool. But for the original audience, this is kind of a red flag. Wait a minute, magi? This is interesting. These pagans, these heathens, how could it be? So I want you to have that perspective, the one that would have been uh, for the original audience. Look at Daniel chapter 2. We'll look a little into what these wise men or the magi were. This is in regards to King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, if you recall that story. If not, I encourage you to go back and read it. But verse 2 says this of chapter 2 in Daniel. Then the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and they stood before the king. You can summarize that essentially and say, then the king commanded that the magi be summoned before the king. So this is the class of people that Matthew is actually introducing. Skip ahead to verse 10 of Daniel chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this, the Chaldeans answered the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. So incompetent. <laughs> you know, verse 11, the, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I got that right. And, and if you know the rest of the story, Daniel's actually able to interpret the, the dream according to the power of God. He says, this is what it means. He had that power. And so compared to the power of God, Holy Spirit power, Magi were frauds, totally incompetent. This is the perception that the general audience would have had. In addition to this tidbit of general understanding of who and what the Magi were, for the Jews, it was also forbidden to be anything or to aspire to be this kind of person. For the wise men that we read of, actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, says that their practices are abominable. So I'll let you read that on your own. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 13, it says that these practices are abominable. They're an abomination, essentially, to be magi. Interesting. And so I feel like, to me, it helps me to understand the history of these things. I want to understand the scripture as it was written, as it was originally portrayed. Because when we do that, oh, we see the glorious beauty of what the Lord is actually showing us. And I'm, my hope is that we all see that today. And so therefore, with just that little bit of information, we can know that these wise men from the east who were in search of this new king was actually something very bizarre. This is not normal. This is actually very weird. This is awkward. Why is it that these, there's more questions now about these men? 
if they're from the East, and if they're generally considered to be pagan heathen people, and their practices are forbidden in Jewish culture by Jewish law, what is, what's going on with these guys? Why are they coming, and why are they paying attention to what's happening here? Do you see the intrigue? Do you see the question, right? So now, in regards to the wise men, that we read here. I want to expand this a little bit. I want to to learn a little bit more. I want to see this here a little bit more. I want to take a moment to look at what we don't know. So here's what we don't know about these wise men. Matthew 2, chapter 1 again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That's the description of these guys. This is what we know about their identity. There's not much in there. So here's what we don't know. We don't know their number. Now you see this picture here? What do we see? This is the traditional scene of the wise men. You know, I like to say bougie men and camels, three of them going to Jerusalem. We don't know that. They they could have been two. They could have been 20. They could have been three. We don't know. We have no idea how many wise men are there. The reason why we've settled as a general you know, consensus as three is because there was three gifts. And so it's assumed that each one of them had brought a gift. But it could have been that one of them brought all of it. It could have been that they each brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It could have been that one brought gold and the other one brought myrrh and frankincense and so forth and so on. We just don't know how many they were. We have no idea. We also don't know their names. Did you see a list of names here? Now, tradition tells us that they were called Melchor, Balthasar, and Gaspar. Have you heard of that? Maybe it sounds familiar to you. And that one of them was Ethiopian, and the other other was Indian, and the other was Greek. Some say that they were even baptized by Thomas, St. Thomas, and that a bishop in the 12th century found their skulls. These are things that are out there, but the fact of the matter is, We don't know this. We have no biblical backing for this. And so I want you guys to be biblical thinkers, all right? We need to go and we need to make sure we understand what the Bible reads and not just take culture as truth because culture can also be deceiving. Not that this is even a big deal in the the first place. If you want to say that there's three, go for it. They could have been three, (laughs) right? We just don't know that. We also don't know that they were kings. Remember that Google search where the wise men kings? No one actually knows. It is maybe presumed that they were definitely people of authority, and I will, I will concede to say, yes, they had influence and they had wealth because of the kinds of um, treasures that they brought, but we have no idea whether or not they were actually kings. We don't know if they held a position of royalty. None of this is provided in Scripture. That means that their names and their numbers, and what countries they were actually from, is what my wife would generally tell me, not important. (laughs) Who cares? This is not important. So what do we do with this? We move on to what is important. Now, don't be like me, because sometimes I get stuck with the things that are just not important. You know what I mean? I get stuck with, I want to know the answer to these questions. Matthew didn't provide the details to these, the, these guys because it's just not important. So the question is, what is important or what do we do from here? We move on to what we do know. So here's what we do know about the Magi. 
the wise men. We do know that they're from the east, yes? That means that they could have been from anywhere east of Jerusalem. They could have been from, they could have been from China. I don't know. You know, but we do know that they're from the east. They could have been from Babylon. They could have been from Persia. They could have been from anywhere out there, which makes sense considering the kind of caliber of people that they were. And so that's what we know. We also know that they were high-ranking officials with power and influence because of the journey and the description of what they had brought with them. Now, here's something that's very notable and good for us to understand. You see this picture of the three men who are traveling all by themselves across the desert in camels? That would have been extremely unlikely. You do not travel with items of worth and value without a caravan. If you went and you moved anything of value, you would bring a caravan. A caravan means a large group of people that travel with you. Now, depending on where they're coming from, this is a journey that would have taken a long time, maybe even years. So if you have a caravan of people to come with you, you had to be a person of influence, a person of some kind of authority. And if you had this kind of wealth, well, that comes with it as well. And so we can, we can boil that down to, okay, they were definitely people of influence and they were people of worth also because of how they're received in the palace. Herod had a level of respect for these men. And so we can conclude that, yeah, they were high-ranking officials with power and influence. And so you, again, the, the, the answer to this is just based on the other uh, bit of information that we have surrounding the situation. We also know that they studied the stars. They were some type of astrologers. Now, we don't know exactly how they studied the stars, but many people who studied the star back in the day, it was mixed with some kind of superstition. So we don't know what type of astrologers they were. The other thing we do know is that they were familiar with Jewish teachings. Now, that's a head-scratcher. These considerable, like, you can definitely wonder whether or not these guys were pagan because... They were familiar with Jewish, Jewish teachings. How could people from the East know Jewish teachings? How can they have been intrigued with these things? Well, do you remember that the Jews, the Jews were exiled to the East, to the regions of Babylon, and from there they had another diaspora? And so it's very, 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 um, it makes perfect sense for people in Eastern countries to have seen and read the scriptures, the prophecies of old of the God of the, of the Israelites. Here, verse 2, look at this. They said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So what else do we know? We know that they were seeking the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies. They were seeking Christ. These magi were looking for Jesus. And this tells us that these men were familiar with the prophecy. So if you consider about those things that actually pointed to Jesus according to what they were doing, they must have been familiar with Balaam. They must have been familiar with Daniel. They must have been familiar with the prophet Micah, who prophesied the time and the place and the star that would declare the arrival of the anointed one. So they knew this. That's clear. They knew this, and they were anticipating exactly what was written, that the Christ, the King of the Jews, was the one who was being declared by that star in that region, in that time. So we know that. So what else do we know about these guys? They were so determined to find Christ. Their intrigue was so great that they would go to any lengths, any means to find this Christ, 
this anointed one. It wasn't just good enough for them to have heard the stories and wish whatever would happen a good luck. No, they wanted to be a part of this. They wanted a piece of this action. They wanted to go for themselves no matter the cost. They were determined to find Jesus. So then what did they find? That's the next portion here. Let's look at what they found. Here's what they found. They found out that they had gone to the wrong place. Not entirely. They were going to Jerusalem, and that was essentially the right place, but they went into the palace. That was the wrong place. But it was logical. You think about it. What are you looking for? You're looking for a newborn king, the new king of the Jews. So where would you go? Capital city, right? Where the palace is. What would you look for? You would look for you know, the, the baby in the nice nursery of the, the castle and the palace. But what do they find? Nothing. They were in the wrong place. This was a bit of his head scratcher. So logically speaking, this was logical for them to go and look for Jesus there. But they, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just imagine this, that they showed up and they were confused to not have found the king where they thought that he belonged. And so perhaps they walked in confused, not only in that they didn't find him there, but the Jews themselves seemed to be surprised and clearly troubled. Ah, oh, it makes you wonder. Did you ever wonder, did I? read this wrong? Did I go to the wrong place? I remember when Miss Carol came to my house the very first time ever, she knocked on my neighbor's door. She hit it off with them, and they were like having conversations and everything, and now I feel like you guys are friends, right? But clearly, this is the wrong place. Hmm, let me keep going. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, this is unfortunately uh, what happens quite often, and I want to just really look at this practically and what this looks like today. Often, there are many people out there who are inquiring of truth. They want to know truth. They realize, I need to get to the bottom of this. this li- there's more to life. And they end up going to places that are logical for them to go to, like universities. They go and talk to professors. They go and look at churches and churches of all kinds and colors and shapes and sizes. And many of them are found with confusion. In fact, they're met with more confusion. They show up, and instead of being well-received, instead of being displayed truth, instead of them giving exactly what they're seeking, they're actually more confused. Now, we need to be cautious of that. Because I'll tell you what, there are, I've had many conversations with people where they say, yeah, I tried going to church and it was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. You know, it's like, what happened there? Or I tried talking to someone and they totally obliterated whatever I had left of my faith. And so we, there, there are people who are seeking. There are people who are wanting to find Christ. And some of them don't even know that it is Christ that they're longing for. But that's what they're longing for. That's what they're looking for. They want answers. How is it that Christianity has survived so long and it is thriving and it's doing well and people are actually being changed and transformed by this? I want answers. There's a lot of questions that I just have not had answered. And they go to the places just to be more confused. They come with questions. They go to places, they talk to the people that they would logically consider to be good, good people to talk to, and they walked out weirded out or misdirected. Maybe far from us that we misdirect someone who's seeking from the Lord. Maybe we be well prepared to receive them, that we would have room to be able to welcome those who are seeking, to have those conversations and in a way that makes sense and they're not weirded out. Okay? Truth is truth. It will stand. Truth stands. You preach the truth. Look at what else happened here. The wise men also found out that no one actually cared. 
This is interesting here. Verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet. And they actually read the prophecy. And this is, by the way, found in the book of Micah, the prophet of Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you know what this means? This tells me that they too had the proper information to be able to anticipate the Christ. They, they had what, it, what they needed to have to be able to anticipate Jesus, but it wasn't of interest for them. Think about that. How often have we had the information that we've needed, but have been far from interested We've not been one bit of, there's no interest in us to actually pursue Christ. He's right there. For these guys, he was only five or six miles away. He was right there, you know, but there was no interest. In other words, they just didn't care. Instead, Herod the king in Jerusalem was intimidated by this news. He was intimidated, and so was all of Jerusalem, is what it says. These so-called people of God had no interest in knowing Christ. They had no interest in the salvation that was promised through Jesus. Again, far be it from us that we lose interest in the things that matter most. What causes that? Distractions, self-pride, self-gratification, self-interest the unwillingness to submit to the lordship of Christ, this is the result of that, where you have truth in front of you and you disregard it or you don't care for it. The wise men found that out really quick. These guys didn't really care about what was going on. So much so that they essentially were told, good luck, have a nice trip. Let me know what you find out. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the time when star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. <laughs> Herod is a liar. Can I get an amen? He had no intentions to submitting to the Christ, not one bit. He was more concerned about maintaining the position that he had. Let's think about that. He was more concerned about maintaining the position that he had. I'll be the first to confess. When the Bible hit me with the truth that I didn't like, I stood my ground. I said, there's no way. There's no way I'm wrong about this. There's no way that's going to change me. I don't like that. I am going to eisegete, meaning I'm going to make my way and use scripture to back up what I wanted to say, but truth stands. And so what happened with Herod is he was very comfortable in his position and likely he was very intimidated because he wasn't an heir as a king of Jerusalem. And now he's hearing that the heir is born. See, he's not willing to back down. He's not willing to give up his place. He's not willing to do what is right. In fact, he is more determined to eliminate the threat. And we sometimes do that. We are more willing to eliminate the threat, or at least it seems like a threat when we're dealing with truth, than to actually confront it and to face it and to say, God, I see you. I see you, and I submit to you. That's the proper approach, because essentially this is what the wise men are doing. These magi are looking for something else, something more than that, what they had known before. 
But Herod was quite comfortable where he was, and he was willing to eliminate the best gift that was being offered to him. And so the Magi found something else. They found something generally good, because so far it's not been good. Verse 9 tells us that after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, it was there, and it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Friends, the Magi found the star. They found the star. It's as if they weren't seeing it for a little bit. Do you see that? They, were, they, they rejoiced exceedingly because they found the star, and as a result, they found great joy. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. See, just like the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that led the people uh, of God out, through the wilderness, this is what the star did for the Magi. So this is a wonderful phenomenon. I've tried to f- find different uh, uh, answers to what, what was this star? Man, this was just a phenomenon. Like God just made a way to lead people to the Christ, to the incarnate God. And so that's one of those questions that just doesn't matter. Who cares? They saw a star. Okay, and it led them to where Jesus was, and they found the joy. They were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Talk about redundancy there. That's to say, joy, 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 very, very much joy. We are rejoicing with great joy. This was something exciting, fulfilling for them. And verse 11, and going into where? Wait, I thought Mary and Joseph were in a stable. No, this is later, way later. Then, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Where's Joseph? He was probably at work, guys. At this point, Mary and Joseph had already gone through all the, 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 the things that the law had commanded them to do. They had already gone and dedicated Jesus in the temple. They had already gone and found a home. They had already gone and moved in, and they started a family in Bethlehem. They had already gone and settled. They had a house. By the time that the Magi show up, they're in their home. And Joseph isn't there. He's probably at work doing what, what dads do, right? And they find Mary, and they find the child. They found Jesus. They found exactly what they were looking for. Their journey was completed. Their mission was accomplished. That which they were seeking, they found. You know how good it is to find something that's been lost? It feels so good to find the remote after the girls lose it. You know, it's like... Yeah, I found it. It just feels good to find something that's been lost, right? It's been good to find something that you've been searching diligently for. When Jesus is presented to anyone, though, a response is required. So look at the response now. Herod's response to the news of Christ was to, when he found out that Jesus, the king of the Jews, was coming, his response was, yeah, I want to eliminate him. No, thank you. But the Magi's response was worship, as we read here. Jesus viewed, or Herod viewed Jesus as a threat, but the Magi saw him face to face. And they recognized him as the king of kings. Therefore, they offered Jesus extravagant gifts. This is part of their response. Look again at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped who? They worshiped him. Not them, him. 
and they brought him gifts, extravagant gifts, gifts fit for a king. Their response was worship, and it was gold, emphasizing Jesus' royalty. You don't gift a normal, common person gold. If you're a person of influence and some kind of authority, that is not normal. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense emphasizing Jesus' deity. It was often used, frankincense was often used in the worship of God. And then there's myrrh emphasizing Jesus' humanity. Hmm. Myrrh was a perfume, if you didn't know this, that served many purposes. It was used more commonly for anointing, to anoint. Interestingly enough, Jesus was given myrrh three times in his humanity while he was on earth. Three times. The first was here. The wise men bring him a gift of myrrh. The second time he received myrrh was while he was on the cross. While he was hanging there, he said, I thirst. And they dipped a mixture of myrrh and wine, and they handed it to him. They lifted it to him. That's the second time he had myrrh. The third time was actually at his burial. Nicodemus and Joseph, both Pharisees who believed in him, they used myrrh to prepare Jesus' body for burial in the tomb. See, this man was truly the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Did the wise men know? They responded very well because they paid attention to the prophecies. They believed and they obeyed. At all costs, this was totally worth it for them. And so Jesus is buried, anointed with myrrh, Who knew, right? Three days later, Jesus validates his kingship through the resurrection. He validates the wise men's actions. Everything that the wise men did, validated. You got it right. You are truly wise in your efforts and in your endeavors. If you seek the Lord Jesus, you're a wise man. If you disregard him, if you disconnect him, or if you try to eliminate what he says to you or what he offers, you're a fool. That's the bottom line. But these men were wise, and the resurrection of Jesus validified everything that they had did. And that changes everything. That changes everything for everyone. Because he lives, now we can have eternal life. Because he lives, now we can experience the peace that the Prince of Peace offers. Because he lives, we can rejoice with exceeding joy. Because he lives, we can be forgiven of our trespasses. We can be forgiven of the things that have happened in our past. He wipes away the sin of the world because He lives. Because he lives, we are changed. We are redirected. We were one way, and we used to walk this way, but now we are different. We are made new, and we walk in the way of the Lord. Amen? Because he lives. Our lives are radically redirected. Because after an encounter with Jesus, how could you be the same? How, right? Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. There's other translations that says, and being warned by God not to return to Herod, or and being warned by an angel not to return. The Lord spoke to these men. The Lord, were redirect, the Lord redirected these men. Their life was different. They didn't go where they were commanded to go. They obeyed God above man. <laughs> 
these men now were submitted under the lordship of Jesus as far as I can see and as far as the little bit that we know. You know, Jesus changes everything. They were seeking for him and they were radically changed and they found exceeding joy. The gospel of Matthew, which we've been looking at here, reveals that God makes room for those who are seeking after the good news. God chose to reveal himself to these guys. And so far be it from us that we consider, yeah, no, the gospel and salvation is not from them. God chose to reveal himself to even the most wicked of people. We can call them the scum of the earth as they would have been perceived in that day. God chose to reveal himself to them. He chose to put the star in front of them and draw him or draw them to himself. He beckoned them to himself and they searched him and they found the incarnate God. We must make room for seekers. We must make room for those who have questions, people who are genuinely searching for those answers, who are genuinely searching for that peace that comes from the Lord. We must be good stewards of that, those opportunities that the Lord gives us, far be it from us, that we misdirect them, that we unwelcome them, or that we are unprepared to receive them. This is what the Lord has done for us while we were yet sinners. He makes room for us at the table, and we can feast and rejoice. And man, I'm looking forward to that party in heaven. And perhaps you're a seeker. I am. I found Jesus, but I'm still looking for him because he is inexhaustible. We cannot totally comprehend them. He's so big. He's so majestic. We must continue to be seekers of God. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All what? Everything that you need. Your needs will be supplied. God loves those who sincerely seek of him. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me when you seek me with all your heart. And then James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. The Lord makes room for those who fervently seek him. Friends, let's forever until his return continue to seek him. Let's continue to dig more. Let's find out who he is. The Lord welcomes questions. Did you notice that? Jesus took questions. It's okay to ask questions. Truth stands. Truth will reveal itself. Seek him and you will find him. The more we seek him, the more we know him, the more we know him, the more we love him, the more we love him, the more we're changed by him. It's a beautiful thing. Let's not be like, or actually let us be like these wise men who fervently sought the Lord until they found him. Let's seek Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you have made room for us at your table. We thank you, Father, that you have shown us a way to yourself, Lord, and that you have welcomed us, received us with arms wide open, and that we have seen you and you have changed us, Lord, or we're being changed by you. I pray for those who have not experienced that yet. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they too may it just enjoy the peace that comes from knowing you, that they too may rejoice at knowing who you are and what you've accomplished for us. We love you, we praise you, we ask, Father, that you would use us to be that star to point others to you. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen and amen. amen.